this is episode 32. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Hazards Podcast. Today, we have an encore presentation of a conversation we had with then FEMA Region 9 Administrator Bob Fenton. Interesting guy. He was also recently the top dog at FEMA in Washington, D.C. as acting administrator, temporarily taking the place of former FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate. Fenton, by the way, is a fifth-generation San Franciscan and has a lot of stories to tell about that, and he's also a UC Davis alum. And he has an impressive professional history. Since joining FEMA in 1996, Mr. Fenton has played a significant role in numerous large-scale response and recovery operations in the United States and has responded to more than 50, get him 50, federal disasters, including Hurricane Katrina, uh, the four Florida hurricanes in 2004, and the Southern California wildfire sieges of 2003 and 2007. Oh, and by the way, he also responded to the 9-11 attacks. Here's Bob Fenton. He is the regional administrator for FEMA Region 9, appointed in July of 2015. So you've been on the job about a year now. Yes, Sean, I've been uh, there since late last fall, and uh, prior to that, served uh, six years in Washington, D.C., and then prior to that, 13 years here, so uh, back again. Back again, coming full circle. How does it feel to be back? Uh, it's great to be back in the area. Uh, fifth generation San Francisco, so it's good to be home, uh, and good to work with partners that uh, I've known throughout my career. Fifth generation San Franciscan. Tell me a little bit about that. So your family goes back a ways. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, my family uh, was uh, born in San Francisco and uh, a number of generations on my father's side. They were iron workers, worked on the Golden Gate Bridge and other uh, projects in uh, San Francisco over time. And on uh, my mom's side, uh, they are also blue collar workers and so uh, came together in the city and, uh, and uh, I have a brother. Uh, wow, that is. Uh, tell me a little bit about your children. You have two boys. I have two boys, uh, Nicholas and Jack. Handful. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, before we get too far into this, uh, you touched on the fact that on your dad's side of the family, they were uh, iron workers working on the Golden Gate. What do you know about uh, their activity there? It's fascinating to me. Yeah, so um, my uh, grandfather, who uh, unfortunately I never uh, met, uh, passed away before I was born. Um, I knew that he worked on the Golden Gate Bridge. I knew that he, uh, the stories I hear is that he fell once into the net. Ooh. So that's got to make you proud whenever you see that Golden Gate Bridge 
spanning that water there. Unbelievable. That's that's terrific. Tell me about how you got into uh, this line of work, emergency services. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of hard to beat that disaster, isn't it, right? Um, yeah, uh, well, and I, I don't myself remember that event, but I know Hawaii has been hit a number of times since then, uh, once even just about a year or two ago, right? Um, so you think it was the sense of adventure then that sort of attracted you to this kind of work then, at least? Right. Uh, we'll get back to some of those challenges in just a moment. Recently, you took a uh, an aerial tour of uh, of California, where you got to see some of the effects of the tree mortality issue that we're dealing with right now. What did you see, and when? What did you come away thinking? And, um, and then being able to go on that flight a week ago, the 
see it. Uh, I was amazed at how much it has spread, uh, how much more severe uh, it is uh, that uh, our force has been impacted by that area. What did you actually see? Well, um, so uh, much of, uh, uh, we actually threw down central California over the Sierras, uh, large areas of the force have uh, brown uh, trees that are dying uh, and, uh, at different stages. And uh, what happens is the, the particle continues to move, so it's kind of in uh, spotted patterns mm-hmm. to go across. Some areas largely impacted, some areas less impacted. And I think uh, probably the biggest concern is, uh, is obviously, uh, it's just concerning to see it affect our force. But uh, as it goes into populated areas, then the concern is impacts the public rights away, safety, security, um, and Oh yeah, oh yeah, and especially given the we're uh, deep into our fifth year of drought and the heat that we're experiencing right now, obviously big contributing factors to the possibility of massive wildfires. And if that was the case, then you guys would certainly step up and and assume role like you normally do. Um, so, you know, talking about these disasters, what would you say is sort of maybe the biggest or most impactful disaster that you've been on since you've been with FEMA? In, in let's say, a, a leadership capacity or not? Yeah, so uh, in my uh, 20 years now with FEMA, I've been on probably uh, in the neighborhood of 60 or 70 different Yeah. Which one of those impacted you the most? Well, I think, uh, you know, going back to 9-11, and I, I've been to uh, New York three times in my life as I mm-hmm. tell this story. Uh, the first time was uh, I happened to take the red eye from San Francisco to Philadelphia and I was September 10th, uh, 2001. I mm-hmm. uh, landed in Philadelphia September 11th, and it was heading to a meeting for me. As many people uh, remember that day, uh, you know, on TV, Most of FEMA was at a, uh, a National Emergency Management Association meeting, I think, in North Dakota at the time. Mm. And so a large part of our leadership was not in the D.C. area or in the regional area. And uh, when they found out, found out that I was attending a meeting in Philadelphia, part of one of our national teams, uh, they asked me to deploy with uh, those that were there right away into New York to help establish initial operations at uh, the World Trade Center and support the uh, local fire rescue uh, services. How do you even begin to do that? Well, you uh, begin right away uh, by building those relationships there. Again, my first time to New York. Mm. So, uh, don't know people. Uh, the good news is there was people from Region 2 that were, or people that were there to help build those relationships. And you immediately begin to uh, triage and, and understand what are the requirements, uh, you know, gain situational awareness, start to assess, uh, you know, what's happening. And just uh, start to respond with Uh, 
feel, uh, but we did so many things in Vietnam in those early days. And then it took, because of the airspace closure, uh, days to really get uh, enough people in there uh, to, uh, to uh, from people from all over the country to really support, support New York City with uh, the requirements that are coming from there. Mm-hmm. But uh, what a lot of people don't realize is early on in that, uh, because of the airspace closure and the lack of ability to get helicopters in there, one of the only things we did in was put a helicopter in the air to provide pictures back of what was happening around zero day two, day three, uh, and then push those out to a local media market so that so that uh, the news and everyone else had access to what was happening uh, down there. What would you say was uh, the big importance, or what did you notice that when you were pushing those pictures out to the media, and they, of course, were putting them on the air, feeding them out to the world, because literally the world was watching, what do you see as the biggest impact of those photos? Well, I think uh, any time... What would you say, looking back on that, uh, would be the biggest challenge that you personally faced in your leadership role? So it took you at least, what, three, four days to even get a handle on the scope and the magnitude and then what resources were needed? So it took days to really uh, bring forward the chaos. 
how long into the event did the emotional wear and tear start to affect you? Well, uh, it's interesting. So I said at the game the first time I went to New York was this trip. Yeah. Uh, the second time that I went to New York was Hurricane Sandy. I never, oh. I never uh, went back. Not that uh, you know, I stayed away because of the uh, emotional impact. Uh, but it's interesting because I never, either when I left after 21 days of working at the World Trade Center, really watched the movies or the footage or uh, any of the impacts afterwards because I kind of felt that I was there and I lived it. And, uh, and so the third time I went there was about a week ago. And, oh. uh, and so uh, a week ago I went there and I went and, uh, to visit the Luigi II office, uh, which is in the New World Trade Center building. And oh. uh, as I went there, um, I went to the Mount uh, Memorial. And uh, so I had a chance to relive some of uh, their memories from that. One of my good friends that was down there with us, uh, Andrea Bullard, is uh, a photographer for Prima. And her photographers uh, are on exhibit. Oh. Being able to look back at that, see the history, see the impacts of, uh, you know, probably the first time that I really sat there and, and thought about it. And, uh, and it is a, uh, you know, a goal and it's uh, something in our history that we hope never happens again. I think we've done a lot in being able to better prepare ourselves, uh, you know, of course, in this day and age for those type of events uh, if it were to happen again. How, uh, you know, for the benefit of those people who may end up working this kind of an event, an event with a lot of destruction, a lot of emotional toll being taken, what would you tell those folks how to focus on your job and somehow get past the emotional impact of these things? How do you do that? Yeah, you, uh, you definitely Be there uh, as a, uh, especially as a in a leadership position as I was early on, uh, to be able to provide clear direction uh, and clear communication uh, to not only your organization, but to support other organizations that are severely impacted. Uh, one of the things early on that we got tasked to do in that uh, was help the North Park Front with uh, actually putting on the tables. Mm. They were so impacted uh, by the event. Uh, what we did is by the National Fire Firefighter. work with us in, in uh, our fire academy in Emmitsburg and EMI, which is an institute, and brought them down to assist the New York Fire Department putting on the funeral. So uh, everything from, uh, you know, assisting with funeral processions to, uh, you know, flags and all those kind of things. So you really have to detach yourself and understand, uh, you know, what are the requirements? Uh, you have to understand what are the objectives of uh, leadership, uh, elected leadership, and then you have to start working so really just focus on those right. yeah so we've talked a little bit about uh some of the you know the biggest challenge uh of the biggest disaster of your career what would you consider you know your greatest success in any one of these disasters what are you most proud of that you were able to accomplish sure well I, you know uh Ground Zero on the 80s of uh, American 
glad to, to see you're getting down there helping people. Uh, and then I've been to other events uh, where uh, the situation wasn't as, as uh, uh, it wasn't the uh, same case where, uh, especially when you look at Katrina and what happened in Louisiana, uh, it, it, it's maybe not the same sense of uh, national pride. Mm. So, uh, but I think coming back to that sense of service that we were talking about, uh, the ability to help Americans, uh, regardless of the situation, uh, to help them, whether it's uh, you know, get back into a temporary house, into a shelter, uh, get back, uh, be able to help them with medical conditions, be able to uh, help the first responders. It's that sense of service that uh, not only helping individuals, but they're helping uh, especially in a larger Uh, obviously, with a career as uh, fulfilling as yours, uh, the wide variety of incidents that you've been on, you said 60 to 70 major disasters, presidential, um, there has to be a mistake in there, maybe something that you've learned from. Uh, what have you conveyed to other folks when you've talked to uh, young up-and-coming up emergency responders, emergency managers? What did mistake have you talked about uh, one that you've learned from? I think, uh, obviously, uh, you don't get to where I'm at in my career without having made those mistakes. And, uh, and uh, uh, those will happen. Um, the number of decisions that you get charged with making, uh, you're going to make wrong decisions. Uh, the key is learning from those decisions. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, probably, I would say, looking back on my career, uh, when I haven't made the best of decisions, it's probably because do a good enough job and listening to all the information or incorporating uh, uh, you know uh, different input into that decision and maybe made a uh, decision out of case based on uh, time. So uh, you know, I think one of the things I've learned over my time, uh, especially in, in our nation of FEMA is uh, you know, well, coordination uh, and support is to uh, be able to incorporate uh, you know everyone in That is not only the best decision, but also helps people understand the transparency into why you make that decision. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll be charged with making decisions that are unpopular, but uh, that's even more why uh, more people have to uh, be involved in that decision making and there has to be better transparency in that decision. Right. I think the one, the one thing that uh, the public remembers in terms of FEMA, if you mention FEMA, it comes down to New Orleans. That's the one that got, you know, the most, I, I think, the most uh, media attention, the most media scrutiny. Um, what was your role uh, with New Orleans? Well, I was in Mississippi okay. uh, during that event. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, an interesting story. Uh, so I was in Mississippi during Katrina. Uh, I was deployed there prior to the hurricane uh, with a team uh, from Region 9 out of here uh, out of Oakland, California. And... Um, Originally, if you remember that event, it was going to hit uh, Florida, uh, maybe mm -hmm. the Atlantic coastline. Yeah. And so we deployed a couple days early with maybe a smaller team than we needed to uh, run uh, you know, an event like Katrina. And uh, within a day, as we were transiting out there and starting to get to Mississippi, we started to understand the movement of the hurricane. 
potentially hit um, Mississippi. And uh, so we moved as many people further down to Mississippi as we could mm -hmm. southbound. Um, you know, I think Mississippi was much different than, than Louisiana. And when I was in Louisiana, I um, was able to talk to uh, a great number of my colleagues each evening as we did coordination calls to kind of understand the gravity of what was happening. But, uh, but I think what people miss with uh, regard to Mississippi is that um, it was severely impacted. I mean, if you went down to the, the shores, uh, Hancock County, Harrison County, uh, totally destroyed. Uh, the, the rate surge was just unbelievable down there. And I think the difference was uh, the leadership in all levels of government in Mississippi. Uh, Haley Barber, who was the governor, was a very strong governor. Uh, we had uh, very strong leadership in Mississippi from FEMA. Very strong leadership at local government level, and while we did have issues and we did have problems and not everything went right, uh, we were able to work together for a common goal uh, and bringing help from other agencies, organizations, states to help us. And uh, Florida provided a significant amount of resources to Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, to the city, as did other um, states. And uh, so I think the difference between Mississippi and Mississippi did have leadership um, at the governor level, state level, local level, that was able to work together uh, toward a common goal. Whereas it seemed to, as I talked to my colleagues in Louisiana, as you read the reports, is you had uh, uh, you know, those levels of leadership in Louisiana that, that had a hard time working toward those common goals, and, uh, and the outcomes were different. Hmm. Uh, obviously, you can't get through. Uh, the type of work that you do, uh, dealing with one disaster after another, without remembering some advice that someone gave you along the line. Was there any one piece of advice that sticks out in your mind, something that you've taken to heart that you rely on uh, every time you go out to a disaster? Or uh, maybe there was something a mentor told you at one point throughout your career? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, it goes back to those uh, tenets of leadership. You need to be able to listen. It's got to be in your DNA. I mean, that the willingness and the desire to help people in times of need, right? Well, there's a lot yeah. of great Americans out there as uh, you know, first responders and emergency managers that it's definitely their DNA. Mm -hmm. Today, I was at the National IMAP uh, training uh, and exercise uh, for all three of our National IMAP teams. And one of the things that I walked away with is that one of the reasons why they all do this is because of service. Mm -hmm. and so um, I think it's in the militaries, uh, uh, you know, within their DNA, and uh, it's good to uh, 
be in a country where you have so many people that are willing to help others, whether uh, you're in a professional organization or you're volunteering that through uh, a voluntary agency or you're part of a faith-based organization. But uh, our country does an amazing job at the greatest time of coming together uh, for service and helping uh, each other out. I would agree. It's, a, it's amazing to watch how we can put aside our differences and come together when we need to come together. And the hurdles that we're able, able to overcome is, is impressive. And it does make you proud to be an American. Yeah. It does. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of technology out there, too. Um, obviously, the military, the federal government, state governments, we all rely on this really great technology as much as we possibly can. Is there anything that, that maybe anyone could utilize something, a tool that you utilize that maybe uh, you would recommend they, they get a hold of. Well, it's amazing how far we've come. Uh, you know, we talked about my career 20 years, and, and I think, uh, you know, when I left college, just a couple of years before that, and my career, the internet was just coming out. And we've moved so far oh, yeah. uh, down the road with technology, and, uh, and one of the biggest changes is the use of smartphones, I think, now. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to change to set up systems or processes where people have to come to us to seek assistance, but now we're trying to set up uh, processes and systems to for us to make it easier for them to go to them, whether that's us physically going out to them or setting up uh, services such as our mobile app that allows people to access our systems and whether it's applying for assistance or receiving alerts from the National Weather Service or, quite frankly, uh, maybe they want to assist us for by providing uh, information uh, of you know, threats or impacts or, or those kind of things to go on there and download uh, photos that they might have taken from their iPhone to help us better understand the situation and get a common operating picture. Mm -hmm. uh, but also it has uh, tips on there as far as safety uh, and it has information there that I think uh, would benefit uh, everyone. So using that app but, uh, and other apps uh, similar to that mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. Sure. Okay, finally, I'm going to throw out some names. And then when I'm done reading off these names, tell me what you remember. Uh, Nancy Ward, Mark Gillarducci, uh, and uh, Mr. Fukutomi. You guys go back a ways, don't you? Probably uh, one of the better leaders I've been around. 
he understands uh, really Homeland Security and emergency management. He understands uh, law enforcement and he understands the fire side of things. Uh, his, his knowledge and his experience and what he's been involved in uh, in helping us establish the Urban Search and Rescue Program and a number of other programs to include his leadership, uh, not to mention that he's also on uh, UC Davis Aggie. Yeah, and you guys, uh, you mentioned the urban search and rescue. You guys came together and sort of helped develop that system, didn't you? Well, uh, it was developed before I got the FEMA. Okay, so how did how did it work? I know there was some connection there with well, you guys. So how did that come to be? Well, I, I came to be, uh, obviously, uh, you know, with the threat and the need in California. And, uh, and what happened is uh, individuals like Mark Villanucci and, and other individuals at the time, going back, uh, Bruce Allman and others. And you, uh, right? I was, uh, I came in after. After, okay. Okay, I just don't want you to downplay your role in this because I, you know, okay. I've, uh, I've had a large part in, in continuing to help it grow. Okay. Uh, much success when uh, they need to be called upon, right? All right. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap things up? So uh, you mentioned Dave Fukutani, uh, another individual that I, a great friend of mine that I grew up uh, as a uh, colleague uh, that I had the opportunity to work for, uh, who uh, just has a wealth of experience uh, coming from uh, Cal OES to FEMA and now back to Palo OES uh, in his composition and responsibility. Uh, David has done a lot to, uh, in FEMA to not only run events, but also to help set up some of our processes to improve our ability to communicate uh, in, uh, throughout not only FEMA, but our department and uh, following these events to whether it be the media, elected officials, state and local governments, 
communication mechanisms to hold community. And uh, his experience on big events, uh, both through California as well as as he moves into his new position uh, in California, we wish him all success. Well, we're, we're very happy to have him and everybody else that we've been talking about uh, on our leadership team. I want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with me. Um, I know we're running short on time, so I just want to make sure that I get that in there. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap it up? No, I just uh, want to say that uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have you on today. Uh, you know, is uh, just a great partner with the state that has the My pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you'll have it right there at your fingertips, your convenience. They come out every two weeks. Very easy to listen to. Download from iTunes. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next time right here. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.